this reminds me of my first experience in radio was back in the early 80s. People with disability and mental health. There's always controversy with us. The mysteries of the mind and consciousness. And we might get to the bottom of something or we might start something new. We're going to run the gamut and we're going to have a good time. Waking Braves. No, not Waking Braves. We're Breaking Waves. Breaking Waves? Breaking Waves. Breaking Waves. Stay tuned. Eastside Radio, 89.7 FM. Welcome back, Riley. Hello, John. How you doing? I'm well. Where are we? We are on Breaking Waves on Eastside FM, and we're bringing you our second show on the subject of pets. That's right. And our relationship with animals. Aren't animals the greatest? Where would we be without them, without our little friends? Um, as we mentioned last week, animals have kind of become a curiosity in this modern world. We certainly relied on them a lot more in the past, but these days... Well, there's examples of them being more of um, an accessory case in point those little dogs that get carried around in handbags. Yes, I've always been envious of those people on the buses with their dogs in their bag. <laughs> I've never had a little dog like that. Apparently it's kosher. If you can fit it in a box or a bag, it's okay. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Absolutely. It's not really kind of in the public place if it's in your bag. It's kind of on your possession. You'd probably be, be all right with a, like a turtle or a lizard or anything. And, in fact, I'm sure it's okay with those, you know, those uh, cat boxes that people use? Yeah, sure yeah. That, uh, yeah, as long as well, it's contained. I saw a cat um, the other day that was on a train that was in – it was on a light rail, actually, and the cat was in a pram. <laughs> yeah. So, prior to this show, we mentioned the fact that an easy way to get people to click on a video is animal content. And for a long time in the early days of YouTube, the most popular videos were of cats doing funny things. And in fact, I remember as a young 11-year-old primary school child, I would log on to YouTube and type in funny cats that would be uh, a genre of video that I would go to again and again and again as a kid yeah I've often thought of making that uh, YouTube channel where you just have uh, clickbait basically and if you put animals in there people are gonna I do it myself you know those those shorts things that pop up I think they started on Facebook now too which are kind of like very short little video Mm. pieces um, I think they're trying to emulate TikTok or something. Yeah, but, uh, and Instagram um, Reels. There's yeah. so many. And the only ones I ever click on are the ones with birds and, you know, yeah. <laughs> dogs and That's and how animals, they get you. Basically. <laughs> yep. Um, now, John, you had a, an experience recently that um, was quite unusual involving some wildlife near your house. Do you, would you like to share that? Well, yeah, we were talking last week about um, domestication and, you know, uh, symbiotic sort of relationships between, between animals and uh, humans and how this uh, potentially all started. And um, 
I was out walking the dog um, and it was pretty late. It was around midnight a couple of nights ago and Ivy's my guide dog. Just for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. Ivy's, Ivy's my dog. I took her for a walk last night and um, she's very alert at night time. She's actually much more on guard at the night time than in, in the daytime. Because more chance of something sneaking up on you, I guess. And it's kind of harder to see what's going on. And she actually barks and growls quite a bit at night time if she sees. But usually I think it's it's all about cats and possums. And uh, and I know that there's foxes around where I live, but I've only seen them a few times. I've been there for like 15 years and I've only seen a couple of foxes. But the other night, this fox just walked out of the scrub and walked straight toward us, kind of strolling looking straight at us, no fear whatsoever. And uh, Ivy was growling and, uh, you know, trying to get off the... I had her on the lead and she was trying to run at this thing and I was holding her back. But the fox was not phased and it continued to follow us around and it would just sit down. When we stopped, it would sit down and just look at us. So this fox obviously wanted uh, to contract with us on some level. He wanted... um, Something from us, and I suspect it's probably been fed by people in the past. There is, uh, I think the colony of foxes lives up on La Perouse on the headland there. That's the largest bit of scrub really left uh, in the eastern suburbs. But they come down at night time and sort of prowl around looking for cat food and uh, rubbish, I guess. You know, it was it was really cute, and I really liked it. And I thought, wow, the the fox spirit has come to visit me. You know, and I really enjoy those kind of interactions. But it also worried me at the same time because um, this animal's uh, loss of fear of people may um, not be advantageous to it in the long run. Because you know, rangers and councils tend to hunt hunt these animals down branding them as introduced species or, or pests uh, and eradicate them. Now, I believe that it is legal to uh, to have a f- foxes as pets in New South Wales. But that story about the normalisation of a wild animal to the acclimatisation of it having been given food and got used to people, it reminds me of an experience that I had when I was 10 years old in England, which I might have shared on this show before, but I was in um, Dartmoor uh, in Devon. That area is famous for its wild ponies. You know, I was eating an ice cream from one of those Mr. Whippy type vans and this supposedly wild pony came straight up to me and just ate the whole uh, top of the ice cream, like the ice cream part, just... uh, you know, which is obviously a trick that it had pulled before. <laughs> yeah, I had the same experience with uh, monkeys in Bali. There are monkeys all over the island, and uh, they're cheeky buggers, and they got huge teeth, and they're very, very, they're very pushy, uh, verging, verging on aggressive, and they commonly run up to tourists and steal their cans of coke. They love coke, so they'll pinch a can of coke and like drink it like a little person. Uh, but they steal people's cameras and hats and wallets and all kinds of stuff. Now, the thing that um, I'm sure you notice, John, when one is establishing a rapport with an animal is that the animal appreciates you not, uh, you know, going against its boundaries and 
getting too close and these kind of things and you can kind of commune with them in a sense. But when it comes to pets, I think people have a very different... Uh, I think people with pets, are, well, obviously they do a lot of things that are against the rules, but one of the things that I take umbrage to is when uh, people dress up their cats and um, something that... Uh, my mother often says about cats is that they're very prideful creatures and that could be a case of like anthropomorphizing imposing human emotions onto a creature that simply is not there but some one thing that cats do seem to do is that if they um say for example they go on like a jump because cats jump around and uh, like to jump up high and jump from, you know, place to place and this kind of thing. If they miss the mark and if they fall, then they immediately collect themselves and start acting like nothing happened kind of thing. And so I guess some people see that as like their uh, saving face in a sense and acting like, oh, no, nothing went wrong here. And it's um, it's sort of a charming trait that they have. But I suppose that lends itself to the idea that cats would not appreciate being dressed up and made a spectacle of. Certainly it appears to be something that they dislike. Well, I guess in order to understand a cat or a dog, you need to speak cat or dog. If you're trying to interpret their behaviour through human eyes, you're going to get it wrong most of the time. <laughs> this is funny because this is the constant battle between cats and dogs is they have an opposite... Uh, a lot of their language is, has opposite meanings... Uh, cats, uh, when when cats lie down on their back, they're ready to scratch your eyes out. That's a, that's an offensive position for a cat. Whereas a dog, when a dog lies it's down on his back, this is completely <laughs> submissive. So this causes a lot of fights because the cat will lie down, the dog will go, oh, he's he's submitting to you. go up, get a big scratch on the nose, and then you have a big fight. And this is happens time and time again because of miscommunication. And I guess that's an, a, a mistake that people make. Uh, interpreting animal behaviour too is is trying to contextualise it as human behaviour, and conversely, um, we try to treat our pets the way we treat other people, and this is actually not uh, healthy psychology <laughs> for for dogs in particular. Um, dogs in uh, in nature, in their uh, social interactions, and in their families and their tribes, they have a um, Pecking order, same as most creatures do that live in uh, societies or families. And it's kind of important for that, that hierarchy to be there. There needs to be the boss and there needs to be uh, people that follow and people that <laughs> direct. And, uh, you know, they get to hunt together and they've got to live together the same as we do. Uh, so it's very important for them. And they get quite messed up if... Uh, Humans come into the picture and start trying to treat them like they're all equal, which they're not at all. And they're actually not, not happy and contented if they're treated like that. They're, they're much happier knowing their place. And you'll find that mostly they sort that out pretty quickly. <laughs> when uh, Most dog fights don't last long. They're usually over pretty quick, and that's what it's all about. It's, that's why I, I try not to get too upset when there's a bit of growling and snapping going on. A lot of this is just sibling rivalry and uh, sorting out, you know, where, 
where they stand in regards to one another. It's usually not ongoing and it's usually forgotten after it happens unless there's another um, transgression in behaviour. So, uh, yeah, that's... uh, A good example of the natural order of how animals work things out. You know, yeah, a lot of the time a, a dog will be anxious in a family when it doesn't know who the boss is and uh, that can be something that, yeah, fosters discontent. Yeah, so uh, needs. Um, I guess that's uh, getting back to the idea of the contract or the deal that's that we've struck up with the animal kingdom, which is still very important to us. In fact, we're... We're history without the animal kingdom, even though we do look at them as a curiosity these days. Without the environment and all the creatures in it, uh, we certainly wouldn't exist. Uh, So we need to look after and protect them. And this kind of deal we've been doing with animals, as we mentioned last week, goes back a long way. And it's symbiotic. And there's lots of examples of creatures getting on together in nature. (laughs) Uh, all over the place, and some really strange ones too, like the, uh, remember that hippo and the turtle that bonded after the flood in uh, Thailand, I think it was. It was, on, uh, it was on all the video channels. Plenty of examples of that, of animals like a duck and a, and a, and a rhinoceros or you know, a lion and a tiny little deer or something that for some reason have this uh, relationship um, in the wild, it completely contradicts their normal behaviour around each other. So, John, what does a breach of this contract actually look like? Well, um, I guess you've got to look at the needs. What's the needs of a, uh, of a pets? You know, what do they need from us? Um, we obviously get uh, a company, um, an affection... It's kind of good training exercise for people, you know. They've always said if you uh, shouldn't really have kids if you can't uh, keep a pot plant alive or look after a pet. <laughs> it's probably pretty true, eh? Well, that makes sense. When I was having that ex- experience with the fox, it made me think of, um, you know, the idea of this... Uh, this contract between man and beast and uh, where it all started and it probably started in a, in a similar way to what happened to me the other night. We're drawn to each other, you know. The, the fox is probably following me because it wanted to something to eat. Uh, that's probably why, because people have been feeding it. And this is probably what brought wolves and, and foxes into close contact with humans was looking for food and... Um, you know, as our um, relationship with them developed, uh, we protected them and they protected us and they, you know, they obviously would uh, provide great uh, guard duty and in turn they got the security of being around a, a consistent food source. So that's one kind of contract or agreement that started up a long time ago. And that's kind of an easy one to imagine, the animals that we kind of have as pets these days. I think we're symbiotic with all kinds of creatures that we don't really think about, you know, even to the level of bacteria. Like, you know, we are basically a, an ecosystem. A, um, we're a zoo 
of living creatures. I think we have more biomass of alien DNA in our body than we have our own. Uh, we have an enormous amount of uh, creatures living in our intestines and helping our meta- uh, our bodily uh, systems produce uh, and convert uh, the food we consume into in a form that we use to sustain life. So our pets these days really provide us with companionship and emotional comfort rather than protecting us from other creatures. And I guess since our pets really are, are life forms we've created ourselves, they're dogs and cats, although similar to wild species of animals have evolved into something very different because of their interaction and with humans. Um, their lives are completely different. And you see that wildness come out at times when they surrender to their instincts like, you know, dogs chasing after stuff that moves yeah. quick. Or... Well, there are certain breeds of dogs too that are pretty bitey uh, and others like... Um, <laughs> like my puppy dog, Ivy, who's a Labrador and just very friendly and playful and really non-aggressive. Uh, even when she's attacked by other dogs, she'll she'll try and uh, look after herself, but she, she doesn't go on the attack. A great example of pet ownership, historically speaking, would be the recent uh, discoveries of many thousands or maybe even millions of cat mummies. Yes, John. (laughs) Um, Imagine uh, going to so much trouble to preserve a feline. It's uh, quite a wonderful idea. Well, why did they do that? What was that all about? Yeah. Millions of cat mummies? (laughs) Pay attention. History 101. Dogs have always been man's best friend. I'm sure even you know that. Cats, <laughs> they're another story. Peak, start with ancient Egypt. Oh, like we haven't seen that five billion times. Hey, guys, oh, okay, never mind. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Here goes. I'm just, according to the website which I'm looking at now, which is the uh, Carnegie Museum, in ancient Egypt, cats were sacred animals. Um... People dedicated mummified cats at the sanctuary of the cat goddess Basset as offerings. So there's a cat goddess, folks. Um, well, interestingly, they seem to relate everything, every really piece of archaeological evidence that you can find, they seem to relate to some kind of religious uh, ceremonial belief. Yeah. Which is maybe true, but I think sometimes is way off the, way off the target. They also mentioned that cats were pets... And sometimes a mum fired and placed in tombs with their owners under the belief that by doing that, then the cats and the owners could remain together in the afterlife. Well, there you go. That seems like um, if you're going to build an industry, <laughs> religion, of course, is a part of day-to-day life for most people that practice it. And the beliefs about life and death constitute uh, a large part of uh, the function of uh, religious ceremonies. And there was probably, uh, obviously, um, the idea is appealing that um, eh, when you die, (laughs) 
your your cherished and loved uh, little animal friend is going to be with you in the afterlife. I certainly like that idea. And if you could uh, convince me that uh, some procedure was going to facilitate uh, me meeting up, you know, in some other world, uh, it'd be pretty um, enticing. And that's uh, that's basically the story, right, Riley, with yeah. the cats. Yeah, that makes that makes sense, as you say, as um, as and it like was an big industry. business, obviously. Yeah, there's much more, uh, many more. Uh, animal mummies found than they have human mummies, and maybe that's because uh, it was probably pretty expensive to get a, a human mummified yeah. to have a place to put it. It'd <laughs> so just be for the upper classes, it. wouldn't it? Yeah, well, maybe uh, maybe it was very common and everybody did it, but like the reason why we don't find them is, you know, there's nothing left. <laughs> they weren't buried in uh, huge sandstone or granite tombs, you know. They were basically stuck in a hole in the ground like um, all of our bodies are, you know, unless you take all the bones and stack them in catacombs like they did for some reason in France. Uh, there's really not anything left of people after <laughs> a few hundred years, certainly after thousands of years, uh, very little at all. So the cat mummies. I guess the cat mummy thing is similar to us burying our pet somewhere, you know, and, and making a little gravestone and, and going to visit it. It's kind of a similar thing. Yeah, yeah. It's so that the, the, the little critters can live on in our, you know, for us uh, in some way and, and we can kind of um, we can sort of memorialize their their passing by visiting their uh, their grave I've got Angie my first dog uh, I took her down the back and buried her near my place and chipped out a little gravestone and um, go down there and say hello regularly it's nice to know where she is yes it's good that you did that John a pet's a pet cemetery I yeah. made, and I actually told lots of people, but I'd, nobody else seemed to take advantage of my pet cemetery. So, but there's still time. Still plenty of time because I buried her in an old development site that's been sort of. Uh, I think they ran out of money. Doesn't look like they're going to be doing any building soon. So, I'll be able to visit her for many more years to come. I picked a good spot. Indeed. May it stay for much time to come. Now, we've talked about the domestication of um, dogs and wolves and these kind of ideas, but on the topic of cats, it's thought that they were originally domesticated because they hunted mice. Uh, but the more kind of common notion, looking back, is to think that um, cats domesticated themselves. So they weren't like specifically sought out for domestication like dogs, but the coexistence naturally development developed due to like the mutually beneficial relationship, which is kind of what we said about dogs as well. Well, just the way that fox followed me. Yeah. You know, it was the one that was really instigating the, the interaction, not me. Yeah. Um, and in the case of like the human cat thing, I guess historically the cats are framed as exterminators of vermin. And uh, they are very good at that. Yeah. And Scottish Terriers too, apparently, are great rat catchers. But, yeah, there's, that's a, re a reason why people probably 
one of those um, symbiotic aspects of the relationship, you know, besides companionship and comfort, uh, they, they, they can provide functions. And, uh, of course, working dogs have an amazing yes. ability, cattle dogs, to uh, – how do they know how to do what they do? It just comes naturally. Some breeds of dogs are just herders. You know, there's, uh, there's a guy that has a Kelpie who lives over near my place and every time uh, I see that dog, it's usually herding whatever other dogs are around like their sheep. Mm. Um, now, often you get people that are like cat people or dog people or people that like them both just as much. I know, John, you would be more of a dog person just by virtue of not having had cats, pet cats, or not having that kind of experience with cats. But I do notice that a lot of uh, dog people will tend to, like, demonize cats as uh, unkind, as being, like, mean or manipulative. And I suppose they don't exhibit that kind of, um, that same sort of unconditional loyalty or uh, submissiveness that dogs tend to show people that cats are kind of more self-contained in a sense. They're more their own kind of energy. Well, it's um, a different thing, isn't it? The cat spirit to the dog spirit. Yes. Uh, absolutely different. As uh, Not only in language, in the way they communicate, but uh, in the way they interrelate with each other. Um, and, I'm, um, you know, I've been around plenty of cats. Uh, there's always neighbours and uh, family members that have cats. My sister's a... I uh, don't think she ever had a dog, but uh, she was a cat person. And I was very fond of her, her various cats. But kind of dogs just sort of appeal to me more as companions. What do you think of the stereotype that a lot of children will think automatically of the idea of, like, all dogs are boys and all cats are girls? Do you think... That I've has... never heard that before. Oh, really? <laughs> no. Oh, uh, that's like um, like a commonly held belief that small children have for some reason. <laughs> Maybe that comes out of our vernacular, our slang. Mm. Yeah, it could be something to do with... a lot with, of uh, yeah. young men refer to each other as dogs yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah. But then again, the term cat's been around for ages and that was something you used to refer to another guy as well, right? A cool cat. Yeah, yeah. That cat. I don't know. I don't know where that would come from. <laughs> that mystifies <laughs> me. Maybe because cats are little and... Nah, dogs are little too. Don't know. Um, so the cats are often associated with... Um, as like witches' familiars... Um, and I suppose this lends itself to part of the demonization of cats. If there's like historical periods in which, which witches and practitioners of witchcraft are seen as enemy, the enemy. And there's also the superstition, the idea of it being bad luck for a black cat to cross your path. Well, I think we should do actually a series on witches. <laughs> yeah. Because that's a whole uh, really interesting um, 
topic and subject matter. Yeah. What the hell? Where did this idea come from? And who were these poor people that were persecuted? And who were the people that persecuted them? Uh, that's a great story to tell. Um, and yes, I think cats have been uh, associated with witchcraft. Um, don't know why. And um, I've mentioned this on the show before, but cats see ghosts. Or so it seems. There's a whole um, school of thought around that idea. Well, we know that animals have different senses to us. Yes. Different abilities, uh, particularly in vision. I mean, insects see infrared light, infrared light that's invisible to us. Sorry, uh, ultraviolet light, mm. high-frequency light. And I'm sure there are animals that can see... Um, Infrared, which is the longer wavelength stuff that, uh, once again, we don't see as well. Uh, a lot of our sensing cameras have infrared uh, sensors on them. It's basically the heat range of light. Um, and there are animals that can see that stuff. Uh, the world must look like a completely different place <laughs> to animals with those kinds of perceptions. So once again, we have all but exhausted our time slot here at Eastside Radio. Thanks for listening, folks. Tune in again next week for our third and final show on the topic of pets. We will catch you on the flip side. Wishing you a happy and productive week. We shall return. You're listening to People Powered Radio, proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The Community Broadcasting Foundation resources community-owned and operated media stations just like this one that connect people and tell vital local stories so that we all enjoy a more vibrant, inclusive Australian culture and healthy democracy. Find out more about our work at cbf.com.au.